Welcome to FIGP's podcast series, FIGP Focus 45. FIGP is the only international NGO whose membership consists entirely of IP attorneys in private practice. The FIGP global community is driven by a shared interest among like-minded people to promote common solutions and advocacy for private practice. The FIGP business family makes the world a little bit smaller, bringing independent IP attorneys from around the globe together to focus on IP issues of global importance. Our host is Louis-Pierre Gravel, a registered patent agent and partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to FICP's webinar and podcast series, FICP Focus 45. This year, we will have highly respected speakers, mainly from outside the FICP community, from national and regional patent offices and other governmental agencies that deal directly with IP issues, as well as other leaders in the IP field. Before we delve into today's topic, please note that we will be sending CPD CLE certificates to those who requested them. If you do need a CPD or a CLE certificate, please let us know and provide us with your full contact information. Today, I'm here to talk with Paul Horbel from Bereskin & Par in Toronto, and we will discuss NFTs. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. So why are we talking about NFTs? What's the buzz all about? Well, it's a good question. Um, I think, you know, NFTs have been around for a number of years already, but in the last year or so, you have seen them really kind of burst onto the scene, probably thanks in part to some eye-watering uh, numbers accompanied with, associated with their, with their sales. Uh, there was one notable one last year uh, where Christie's auctioned off an NFT by an artist named Beeple, and I think it sold for something like uh, $60 million US uh, or in that, in that range, which is, like I said, eye-watering. It's a lot of money. And it's not the only one. There have been a number of NFTs that have popped onto the scene and they're selling for sums that are, frankly, you know, really surprising. You wonder whether it's sustainable, what the reason is for it. I'm not an economist. Uh, I, I can't really explain why they're being valued the way they are, but they are. And so they've definitely uh, made an impression. And there are many, many artists and athletes and others trying to get in on, the, get in on this, uh, this trend. You said that the, this, these have been around for a while. How did this, how did this come about? Where did, what's the genesis of NFTs? Well, I mean, I think uh, to, to answer that, I think it's, you know, it helps to understand what an NFT is and what it isn't. Um, an NFT is really just a bit of data that exists on, in a ledger somewhere, in this case, a, a blockchain or distributed ledger. And what it is, is essentially that data that describes some asset, which can be physical, it can be digital, and then it describes uh, who the owner of that asset is. So essentially, you're, you're talking about uh, a data entry that identifies who the owner is of some, some asset and what that asset is. So uh, NFTs have existed for some time. There, there have been some, you know, there were efforts to create NFTs going back um, probably well before even the existence of blockchains. You wouldn't have called it an NFT then. But uh, there have definitely been efforts to create uh, NFTs at, at least as early as 2014. And then a few years later, once the Ethereum blockchain was fairly well established, there was, uh, I think the first one that really kind of got some mind share or something, you know, really kind of took off in public was uh, something called CryptoKitties. Uh, which were an early example of NFTs, and they're still around today. And for a while, this this is a few years back, but for a while, CryptoKitties were were kind of bringing the Ethereum blockchain to its knees. The, there was so much activity, 
that the transactions were kind of taking over the network. And with the way that Ethereum works, um, you, pay a, you pay a transaction fee for each, each transaction that happens. At one point, these transactions were taking you know, serious money to process. And it's still the case today. Like Some of these transactions do cost quite a bit of gas, which might explain why the, why the sale prices are so high uh, when you go to sell these. It's not something you can just trade for pennies. You know, I think that's part of it. You know, the, the, uh, the they've been around for a little while. They've kind of really just sort of, sort of taken off recently. And I think a lot of people have realized that there's, frankly, there's money to be made. And, uh, you know, there there's an opportunity here for a whole new type of asset to exist and to be bought and sold. So you use the word gas. And, and perhaps for our viewers who are not quite familiar with how uh, blockchains work and Ethereum in particular, can you just expand a little bit on what gas is? Yeah. So um, the way the Ethereum blockchain, at least, and, and probably uh, you know some of the, the better examples of blockchains out there, the way it operates is that it's, it's essentially a distributed system of computers, uh, nodes, that all run the same transactions. And they are, when, when I submit a transaction to the blockchain, every node is, is running that transaction or verifying that transaction. And there's a cost associated with that. It does cost money to run these nodes. There's electricity fees. And so there's a fee that's paid to the network for each transaction that's, that's processed in order to keep people from monopolizing or you know, overusing the resources of the network. You essentially pay a fee for the use of that network. And that's what the gas fee is. Okay. Um, it varies okay. uh, depending on how busy the network is. So the busier the network, the higher the gas fee. So uh, and the more processing that's involved, the higher the gas fee. So it, you know, there, there is an effort there to disincentivize abuse and to incentivize people to use it uh, wisely or, or, <laughs> or at least, you know, uh, be ready to pay for what they're using. Okay, so let, let's go back to, to NFT. So what exactly, <laughs> if I go out and buy an NFT, what am I actually buying? So you are essentially paying to have an, an entry in a ledger updated to reflect that you or your wallet is the, the owner, so to speak, of that, of that NFT. So if, the, if you think of the NFT as um, an entry in an accountant's um, ledger, you are, when you buy an NFT, you are crossing out the previous owner and you're writing your own name uh, underneath. <laughs> Essentially, that's what's happening. So, um, and what that NFT represents can be a lot of different things. And what, what the meaning of the purchase means, uh, it can be different. So in some cases, NFTs are, let, let's, let's use an example of an artist, let's say a digital image. Someone has created a digital image, they're created an NFT. It may be the case that they are not actually selling you the copyright to that image, or, or they're not selling you a physical copy of that image either. They are, the NFT may simply be a license to make, use, copy, destroy um, the digital image that you've acquired with that, uh, with that NFT. So by, by buying, you know, so to speak, buying that NFT, you are essentially buying the right to have that license to view that image, copy it, use it for whatever purpose you like. There are, there are other examples where buying the NFT means that you are or the, art, the art, artist intends that you actually are actually acquiring the copyright or you are actually acquiring some asset, but that's not always the case and nor isn't necessarily the case. Um, it really depends on what are the other agreements around the purchase of this NFT. And that can be you know, either an explicit agreement between you and the seller or the terms of use of the platform on which you're buying these NFTs or something along those lines, but it, it's kind of nebulous. There's no single answer because uh, the NFTs aren't any, there is no single definition of an NFT or how an NFT has to operate. Uh, the NFTs are, like I said, they're essentially just a bit of data that lives in the blockchain and that specifies 
a current owner of that data. And that data can represent any number of things. So we talk about the NFT being a non-fungible token. So the, the token is this piece of data that you have limited rights to. Right. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I think the token thing is is important to understand. You know, and the non fungibility of this is is kind of the, the the clever aspect of this. So, blockchains have plenty of examples of tokens. Bitcoin and Ether are examples of tokens, and there's these ERC twenty uh, tokens, and those are fungible because if I have one Ether and you have one Ether, they're essentially interchangeable. Right. Doesn't matter if if, if I got your specific one Ether and traded you mine, it really makes no difference to anyone else or to you and me. Uh, whereas a, a non-fungible token, there's really only supposed to be or either one or a very limited supply of these tokens such that I can't just trade one and, and expect that I'll get the same one back in a, from, someone, from some other source. There's really meant to be just one of these, or like I said, very, very limited amount of them. And the nature of the blockchain, the way it's designed and uh, the cryptography involved, you can guarantee that, at least within that blockchain, that once I've created this NFT, there will not be another one like it. Of course, there's nothing to stop others from creating their own NFTs, uh, which when you interface with the real world, that can create problems. But uh, the intent here is that you are guaranteeing that there will not be another token that's exactly like the one that's being sold. So what are the IP issues that surround NFTs and the existence of these digital um, assets? Yeah, so I think we touched on one of them a little bit, which is the copyright licenses. Um, copyright is a big factor when it comes to NFTs, particularly the ones around audiovisual works. You can have NFTs for, for non-audiovisual uh, works. Um, you, know, you could use NFTs to represent uh, ownership of you know, buildings or vehicles or anything you want, really. Um, and in fact, I think there are efforts to use NFTs for things like um, supply chain, uh, shipping, that, that sort of thing. But let, to use the example of audiovisual works, um, uh, copyright is, is a very, very big factor. Um, like, we, like I said earlier, there's a question of, you know, do you actually own the copyright? Do you own the underlying artwork? What is the license involved? If there is a license, um, that's, those are all considerations that have to be taken into, you know, you have to, you have to understand them well if you're getting into the space, and particularly if you're a practitioner who is, uh, whose clients are getting into the space, um, it's very important to understand what is it they actually want to accomplish and how are you going to go about doing that. There are, of course, other um, IP um, things to consider, such as trademarks. Um, if it's an audiovisual work, it could very well involve a trademark. And you have to consider, is the, use, is the NFT going to be used as a trademark or is a potential for it to be used as a trademark? Therefore, you know, what happens if that's the case? What, what sort of clearances do you need? How can you, you know, obtain the licenses you might need and that sort of thing? There are potentially design, industrial design or, or design patent issues to consider. LP, you brought up, uh, uh, I think, in, in our discussions pre prior to this call, a really good point, which is that um, as a practitioner, you may want to think about or you may want to advise your clients uh, to think about getting design protection for even things that previously would not have you wouldn't have considered, or you may have gotten design protection for one type of article. So let's say it's a you know a piece of jewelry, for example. You yep. may have had a design for that jewelry as the article, but if you wanted to if you wanted to make NFTs of the jewelry, that design is not going to cover it because the article is different. So you may need to get, uh, or you may want to think about getting design protection for. Uh, a computer icon or some other some other form of article that refer, you know that essentially covers the NFT when it's used as an NFT, the image of the article. So uh, that's definitely something to consider. And then uh, of course there are patent issues that could come into play 
I'm not aware of any at the moment, but you know, it's, it is entirely possible that you could come up with a novel use of NFTs that uh, is potentially patentable, but um, uh, so, I'm not aware of any that have made their way into the public eye just yet. Right. So one question in the chat is, so would it make sense for <laughs> patent and trademark offices to issue registrations of patents or registrations of trademarks as NFTs? Um, that's an interesting question. I wonder, I think that there is, there is definitely some, uh, some overlap in the functions of the patent databases and copyright registries and trademark databases and NFTs. The, the, way, the way that they operate and what they're intended to do is similar. If you have a registry and you can update it instantaneously without having to go through the process of registering documents with the patent office, that would smooth some things um, from the business perspective. And potentially, yeah, potentially be interesting for the patent office to do that. If you made the NFT, then the parties involved in the transfer could potentially, you know, transfer that that property without having to go through the patent office to register all the documents. Um, so yeah, there is there is some sense to that. I, it's not the worst idea I've ever heard. Um, I think uh, no, and I, certainly I think it is a good idea. It's something that the patent offices could explore, and you know I think there are probably some issues to work out there legislatively and statutorily and that sort of thing. But uh, potentially down the road, I think it is an avenue they might explore and, and might have some utility for. Uh, Pardon the pun. I might have some some use for for practitioners and and for IP owners. So let's go back to this this ownership. And and so when someone launches an NFT, whether it's a an artist or a company or whatever, when they launch this NFT, do they already establish the structure of what rights are going to be associated with ownership of the token itself? Ideally, they should. I mean, and some of the some of the rights are specified in the smart contract that that defines the NFT. So the the NFT is and there are tokens that exist in the blockchain, but they are they are governed by a smart contract that is, that is their genesis, and that smart contract can uh, define some terms about how the NFT is going to operate, how it can be transferred, um, whether it requires approval to be transferred, and that sort of thing. So. In, in one sense, uh, there are some technical restrictions that you can put into place with the smart contract, but then the smart contract isn't, I've, I've always hated the term smart contract because it implies a legal agreement that doesn't necessarily exist. And there may be other ancillary terms that aren't part of the, the code of the smart contract that are nevertheless just as uh, perhaps more binding than, than the, the code of the smart contract. So the smart contract is a program. There may be, may be other agreements in place that affect what you can do with that NFT and how it operates and and what the rights are that are associated with it. So when you when you mint an NFT, that's a term that's used to create when you create a new NFT. There, you know, there ought to be, and in most cases, there are terms of use for the website that that offers the NFT initially. There are usually agreements between the website and the creator or the company that's offering the NFT. So they will specify that the creator is granting rights to the platform to sell these these NFTs and you know and the the bundle of rights that, that they need to be able to do that to market to offer to sell. And they, then there's another agreement that says the creator will then grant rights to the buyers of the NFTs. And what are those rights um, that are that are being granted the buyers of those NFTs? These agreements vary significantly between platforms. Some platforms are really good about it. They've spelled it out really clearly. Others are, let's say, ambiguous or vague. And one I'm thinking of in particular is the Board Ape Yacht Club. You've probably heard a lot about this and these NFTs. They, they kind of look like these cartoon apes. And their terms of use are three paragraphs long and sort of contradictory, if you ask me. So I really wonder what you're actually getting when you when you purchase a board ape or 
the first term of their, their, their term of use says that you own these things outright. And then the next two terms uh, appear to grant a conditional license to use the apes for certain purposes. But so I'm not sure how you square those two things. But this goes to show that the different platforms approach this differently. And it really does depend on who is offering the, the NFTs and what the platform is that's off, that's being used to, to provide them. So uh, definitely some, some things there that, uh, that depend. <laughs> the, the classic lawyer answer of it depends. Yeah. So I guess the, the take-home message from at least this part of the conversation is if any of the listeners are intent on perhaps rolling the dice with an NFT, hoping to square to score a home run in terms of, of making money, you should really read the fine print and ensure that you understand what you're getting into. Yeah. And I see one of the questions in the chat as well as where is it defined what the ownership terms are? There, it's, it, there's no single answer to that. The ownership terms could be defined in the smart contract. They could be defined in the terms of use of the the website that's selling the NFTs. And, you know, like, like LP said, you really do need to read the fine print uh, in each instance to be sure that uh, the ownership is defined in a way that you think it is or that you want it to be. So there's a distinction then. So purchasing or obtaining ownership of an NFT doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting ownership of the underlying work. Okay, so that's a first distinction that would depend on the various contracts. We've looked at designs and patents. Let's go back to trademarks a little bit, because this was in the news recently over the holidays, where an artist decided that he was going to mint NFTs of a relatively famous handbag. And Hermès, the company that owns the trademark to the, to the bag, objected to this. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit more insights on that? Yeah, so I, you know, it's an interesting um, collision of certain things. It's a collision of copyright and trademark, um, and I think the artist is relying on. Uh, I think the artist is American, I believe, and is re- relying on uh, fair use and and that sort of, uh, which is re- you know particularly broad in the U.S. And his defense was that I'm not selling handbags. <laughs> I, I've created art, and of course, the art is inspired by these handbags, but. What I'm selling is not, you know, in competition with with the with the you know, the Birkin handbag from from Hermes, and Hermes is taking offense because maybe they will want to get into the NFT space at some point and sell their own NFTs. At which point, uh, you know, who is the canonical uh, Birkin NFT? Um, or who's offering that, you know, and so they do have an argument there from the trademark perspective. I'm not a trademark practitioner, so I, I, I risk getting into trouble if I, if I start offering too much uh, opinion about how trademarks work, but it seems to me that, um, one of the things that you need for an enforceable trademark is that the goods and services match up with what is actually being offered. So in the case of a handbag, if you're, if your trademark relates to handbags, and you know, there's an NFT that's being sold that has an image of a handbag. I'm not so sure. Um, and like I said, I'm not a trademark practitioner, but I'm not so sure that that trademark will be enforceable against the NFT. So that's maybe another consideration for uh, IP holders, trademark holders, is whether to expand the, the scope of uh, their trademarks to cover uh, representations in NFTs to make sure that they don't run into these, uh, these sorts of issues. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this Hermes uh, case. Um, I, as far as I know, it's just the, the, in the very early stages. I think it's just a cease and desist letter that was issued. So uh, curious to see if it goes any further than that. But uh, but definitely a consideration if you ever think that you might want to get into that space or your clients think they may want to get into that space. Yeah, I suspect that the luxury goods industry is probably watching this very carefully because, uh, of course, there's a considerable amount of money involved in, in the trademark values themselves. And the last thing they would want is uh, is to have some dilution of their trademark rights because of the proliferation of NFTs on 
on some of their more recognizable brands. And perhaps that's an idea uh, for an, another topic in this webinar series to have a, a full-fledged bona fide trademark practitioner, because I'm not one either, to talk about the issues uh, surrounding this, but they are very interesting. And, and I think your point regarding uh, the potential extension of their trademark rights to things that are not just physical objects like handbags is probably a good idea as well. So one of the other questions in the chat that's come up is, um, have you seen or have we seen any instances of people protecting IP around creative uses of NFTs themselves? Um, I think this goes back to the patent question a little bit. I think um, if there are definitely, I, I can envision, I don't know of any particular examples, but I can certainly envision ways in which NFTs can be used creatively to supplement or to improve other areas of technology. You know, thinking back to the, the shipping example, if you are shipping goods around the world and you want to be sure that the container that you sent containing certain items um, arrives at its destination, um, you could mint NFTs to, uh, to associate with that container and, uh, you know, potentially, um, you know, that's, that's a system that could be created that would be using NFTs in a creative way uh, to solve a real world problem. And so potentially patentable. There could be, you know, when you talk about creative uses of NFTs, I think a lot of the NFTs are creative also from an artistic standpoint. Like the, I, I used the example earlier of the Board Ape Yacht Club. That's a pretty creative approach. They, they created something like 10,000 of these um, similar, but not so similar, all, all kind of unique in their own way, um, cartoon apes and um, created these NFTs. And now there's a marketplace for them. Um, I've seen examples of NFTs being used as a membership card. So uh, you buy an NFT and it get, gets you access to an exclusive club of some sort. The one in particular is a, is a website called Pool Suite, which um, is a, <laughs> essentially like an 80s throwback music service. And uh, this membership is kind of harkening uh, back to like the 1980s style American Express gold card uh, diners club experience. So uh, they've really kind of bought into that whole aesthetic. And, and this, uh, this NFT is, is a way of them monetizing that because up until now they're essentially a free service but now you can you can buy this membership that gets you access to some exclusive features so definitely lots of ways that i think we're, we're only scratching the surface of uh how this can be used and it's it, there are some similarities and parallels to the early days of of cryptocurrency where uh you saw a lot of tokens being created that were just essentially copycats of bitcoin and, and, and ether and then eventually you saw a lot more development like nfts where there were a lot more uses that were found for this technology and i think uh, even though nfts have been around for a few years i think we're really only seeing uh, just sort of there are a lot of prosaic examples out there but i think there are more creative examples in the, in the, in the offing so we'll see them over the next couple of years but so one of the questions i have is you know, you talk about the supply chain um, use of NFTs to be able to track a container, for example, or, um, a, you know, a shipment of goods around the world. And ideally, even going back to the origins of the, of the manufacturer, the objects themselves, is there really a difference between using an NFT for something like that as opposed to just using a regular token on a, on a blockchain? It seemed to me that blockchain was, was particularly well-adapted generally speaking, to follow goods and services from their origin all the way to their, to their destination, because you've got this built-in traceability throughout the, the world. Why, why use a, an NFT? What, is there a difference? No, I don't think there necessarily has to be. I think one thing that 
the NFT gives you is the, that sort of uniqueness. So if you have a particular object that you want to track and potentially trade, um, even while it's in transit, then an NFT might provide one way to do that. It's certainly not the only way to do it, um, but I can imagine that there are ways of, of using NFTs that would provide some advantage over just, you know, just a, a, a custom uh, tracking system. You know, we're, we're kind of delving into the hypothetical here a little bit. I don't, I don't know of any particular example like this, but it just occurred to me that, that that's one thing that you could do with NFTs. When you need that uniqueness or that one-to-one association between a token and something that exists in the real world, then NFTs are certainly one way to do that. And, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an example that people already know how this operates and it can give you some, some, uh, uh, a leg up on on getting the system up and running. So one question that's come up in the in the chat is very interesting, and I think probably deserves a little bit more consideration than what we can do over this this conversation. But maybe we can start addressing it in a context of you would have some boilerplate language regarding IP rights in various contracts, films or or movies or music or even artistic works like paintings. How does that translate, or how does that provide, how does that impact eventually the minting of, of NFTs subsequent to the creation of, of the work? Um, one issue that has come up recently is the Miramax Tarantino dispute over Pulp Fiction. How does that work? Is there anything there that we need to, to look at a little bit more carefully? I think that's a great question. I think the thing that I always come back to with NFTs is that you have to think about what is the source of the rights. If I'm minting the NFT, what right do I have to do that? And where did I get those rights? And do I have those rights um, <laughs> to offer to others? Because when you're when you're selling the NFT, you are essentially selling a right to do something, either either a right to own or a right to use the 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 asset in some way. And in order to do that, I must first have the right myself. Um, so in the Tarantino dispute, I, I'm not familiar with the details of that dispute to be honest. But I'm, what I would look to see is, you know, the person who's offering the NFT, did they have the rights that they're purporting to offer when they sell you that NFT prior? to selling that NFT. And if not, then maybe on shaky ground. You know, it is a new type of asset. It's certainly not one that would have been considered in a, in a contract from the 90s. But ultimately, the NFT, as I said earlier, the NFT is a bit of data. And what you're really selling when you sell the, the NFT is the rights that are associated with that data and, or that asset. And you have to ask, did I have those rights in order to be able to sell them. That, that's really what it, I think it will boil down to. So for practitioners, does it make sense to start thinking about things like NFTs when we're preparing IP contracts? Absolutely. I think one of the, one of the fun things about IP is you can carve up IP in, in um, an infinite amount of ways. And this is just one more way that you can carve up rights. And it's something you can negotiate over and potentially extract more value out of the IP in this way. So where before you might have just you know provided the rights or you know carved up the rights to have the you know online display right be for a particular geography geographic region now you can have online display on a website versus an online display in an NFT and those can be different rights um, that can be negotiated over separately. So one of the things you alluded to is this this these marketplaces or the exchanges where one can trade NFTs. Can you give us a few examples and are there, yeah. to your knowledge, some that you need to stay away from? Um, I, there are plenty that you need to stay away from. There's been a, there's been numerous examples of the so-called rug pulls where recently where um, there's so an, called what a rug pull where they literally pull oh. the rug out from under you. Um, they 
they where an NFT is offered, there's an, a, a big swarm of activity initially, and then the developers disappear and take the, the funds with them. So you have to be careful with those. Uh, there are there are reputable platforms. Probably the biggest one that's that's well known right now is one called OpenSea. Uh, C is in the water, and uh, that that's probably the largest marketplace that's that's uh, fairly well known. There are other examples as well, but um, I don't I don't know if we have time to get into them all. And and I certainly haven't vetted them all, so I don't want to endorse any. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think there are certain there is a very big element of buyer beware. There are many many scams in this space at the moment. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, as always, it's important to read the fine print and, and be, do, do your research to make sure you know what you're getting into. Are there any red flags that someone should be looking for when, when looking at an exchange? That's a good question. Exchanges. I don't know. Like, I think with an exchange, you'd want to know that they've been around for a while that they've, you know, they've, they've offered more than just one token and, uh, that their terms of service look legit. And there are many other things like that. I'd be wary of a, of a website that, doesn't seem to have been around for, for any length of time, doesn't have a wide variety of offerings and their terms of service are either non-existent or, or very uh, uh, confusing. So uh, those are, those are things I might look for, but um, yeah, I think uh, by and large, you should probably at this stage, if you're not well versed in the space, I think you should stick to the better known um, platforms like OpenSea. <laughs> We're, we've had a few questions. Is there anything else that you think we should be, looking for or that we should find interested in knowing? Yeah, I think one thing, one last thing, I think that um, it's, it's something I think about a fair bit is the longevity of these things, because they're, they're, they're such a, there's such a large amount of money being thrown around in the NFT space. And I, I question, or I wonder how long NFTs that, that people are buying are actually going to exist because ultimately, like I said, there, there's a bit of data in the blockchain and they reference an asset of some sort. And that, that reference can be nothing more than, a URL to a website that contains a, a digital copy of the image. Now that website may not be around forever and uh, that image could change, right? So, or disappear altogether. So I think it's something to consider when, if you're particularly, if you're a practitioner drafting terms of use or license agreements or something along those lines, or if you're representing a client who's buying these NFTs, how can you be assured that they will be around for as long as you think that they will be around or you want them to be around? So there are some efforts, some NFTs use something called interplanetary file storage or IPFS, which is a, a decentralized storage service that's been created to coexist with the blockchain. And assets that exist in IPFS are a little bit more resistant to this type of um, loss or uh, change, but, um, but it's something to consider. There's a lot of NFTs that are really nothing more than an image on a website and an entry in a blockchain. And either one, you know, while you can, you, you can rest assured that the entry in the blockchain won't change without your knowledge, the image on the website may not be quite as permanent. So some of these digital images are not very big. I mean, they're, some of them are like a few pixels by a few pixels and that's it. Yeah. So it's really, you know, you really do need, need to understand what it is you're buying um, and uh, or, or selling for that matter. And, and think about, you know, what is the long-term uh, situation? So you, you, you talked about the IPFS and I have to say that is one of the most interesting Acronyms. I mean, the interplanetary <laughs> file system. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, I mean that. That's that's for the. Uh, if we can get into the tech nerdery, but um, the, definitely, it's an interesting system. Probably could, we probably could spend a whole, a whole webinar uh, going <laughs> over how that's supposed to work. But interesting approach. Interesting approach for sure. Um, so I see there's a question in the. But before we go back, one of the issues we haven't touched on is moral rights, especially when it 
comes to copyright. Can you say a few words about how that should be looked at? Yeah, that's a great, uh, that's great I'm glad you brought that up. Um, moral rights, uh, uh, for those that don't, aren't aware, are uh, a branch of copyright that are um, inalienable from the creator of the work. So if I'm an artist who creates a painting, I can sell the painting, the physical copy of the painting, I can sell my copyright, uh, but I can never sell or transfer my moral rights to anyone else. I can waive those rights, however. And what moral rights grant, grant you is the right to the integrity of the work and you have the right to be associated with the work or kept anonymous. And um, these rights are enforceable. They have been enforced in, in the past. And a pretty famous case in Canada involved an artist named James Snow, who um, created some sculpture of geese in flight. And these geese were uh, on display in a, in a large shopping mall here in Toronto. And for one Christmas season or holiday season, they decided to put bows around the, the necks of the geese because they thought it would look cute. The artist objected, sued on the basis of his moral rights and won uh, because he had the right to the integrity of his work, and he did not feel that it was um, that the integrity of his work was upheld if there were um, Christmas bows placed around the, the necks of these geese. So the lesson here for NFTs is that if you are selling or minting or, or transferring NFTs that involve artistic works, um, you want to be sure that the artist has waived their moral rights or that they won't object to the use of their work in an NFT or in the context of an NFT. And that's, it is, it's not just a hypothetical because there are certainly artists who, or people who object to, you know, blockchains. They feel that there's a deleterious environmental effect from the operation of blockchains. Uh, maybe they don't like the elements that associate with blockchains. And so it's, you know, I think there is a possibility that some artists could object to the use of their works in, in NFTs on this basis. So something to consider. Definitely, if I if I if I'm writing terms of use or agreements involving transfers of rights from artists uh, to create NFTs, I certainly want uh, moral rights waivers um, um, from the artists that created the works if I can get them. So one question that comes up in the chat. Thank you very much for that. I think that's I think moral rights are very important and they need to be considered carefully in the in this context, especially when we're talking about artistic works. But one question in the chat is whether or not Canadian regulation, or in fact, regulation anywhere else on the planet, is regulation encouraging innovation in this space? Are they way behind the eight ball? Are they ahead of the curve? I don't I don't know that they would I would characterize it as encouraging, but I don't think that they're hampering innovation either. I think it's sort of neutral at this stage. There are definitely efforts outside of NFTs uh, when it comes to blockchain and uh, finance, um, there are definitely efforts with some of the securities regulators to encourage innovation. Uh, the Ontario Securities Commission has a, uh, I forget what they call it exactly, but uh, essentially an incubator or I think they a call sandbox. it like a sandbox. Yeah, the sandbox they call it for um, financial companies that are in, in the blockchain space um, to kind of test the waters and without running the risk of running afoul of the regulators. Uh, so there's definitely that effort uh, when it comes to NFTs specifically. I don't know that I'm not aware of any such in, initiatives, but as I said, I don't think that there's any efforts to hamper NFTs, uh, NFT innovation. I think it's more just sort of uh, it's pretty neutral at the moment. And I, th I think that's right. I think from the finance point of view and and the uh, the fintech point of view, especially around blockchain uses, I think there is a there is a movement to try to provide a regulatory framework for that, but. We're, we're still very early on in, in the process. And you mentioned uh, the Ontario Securities Commission, the, the same thing here in Quebec. Uh, there is some, some careful attention being put on this 
sector by the uh, by the regulators, but uh, certainly they want to encourage innovation, not hamper it. But they do want to make sure that at the end of the day, the consumer is protected. In the context of NFTs, I don't see the regulators stepping in to protect the consumer. I think at this point, it's still very much a, a buyer beware uh, situation, and uh, and you you better make sure that you've read your your fine print, otherwise. You may have spent a considerable amount of money for air. Yeah, yeah. Paul, I'd like to thank you very, very much for your intervention this morning. This has been really very interesting and very eye-opening. My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime. And I remind you that we have a presentation coming up next week with Marcus Howard, who is going to be talking about some of the uses of NFTs in the esports environment and other uh, associated uh, industries. And so that should be very interesting. And now that we have a, an IP basis on this, we will be able to uh, have a, a, an interesting conversation next week. And so I would like to thank you very much, everyone, for participating. I look forward to uh, seeing you next week. Thank you very much. If you have any questions about the topics discussed in this podcast, you can sign up for free and message us, ficp.org. You can also find out more of what's to come on the FICP Focus 45 podcast series, either on the events page of our website, LinkedIn, or via our newsletter. See you next time.